Good morning. Certainly it's a great privilege that we have to gather together and offer our praise and our worship to God. If you'll bear with me and forgive my nervousness, I believe it's been about three and a half, four years since I've spoken on Sunday morning, so uh, a little bit nervous. I put this lesson to, together probably 20, 18 years ago, I believe. Um, I think God's Word is always relevant to us. I did not intend originally to do a rerun, even though it's been many years, but I just, as I was, tend to look through my old lessons when I study, uh, this one struck me as being something that uh, I wanted to share with you this morning. If you will, turn your Bibles to Romans 6. We'll take our text there. And as you do that, I'll ask you to think in your own mind of particular subjects or issues that you may struggle with yourself or with topics that the Christian world may find, uh, may believe to be controversial. And I do that because we, uh, I ask you to think of that within yourself, to t think of two or three things, because we're always, at every point in life, dealing with different issues, uh, different struggles. And we're not all facing the same things at the same time. I read something, uh, it was this week, about some clergy that had gathered in Tennessee or um, Kentucky, one of those states, to, to take a stand. And I, I thought the, the, uh, their choice of, of what they were taking a stand for, odd, since our government in 1973 decriminalized abortion, but clergy that are taking a stand for it. So what can, what can be the purpose of that? It is to call evil, call something that is evil that, and name it good. It is to misname it and to take a stand and to be popular with the world. So the state that we're in, as I've said and many, so many others say, have said, it's alarming where we're at in this world, where, where we're at in society. In Romans 6, verse 1, the writer says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So shall we? Shall we give God uh, the opportunity to abound more and more in His grace by indulging in sin? That's why I used the example I just did. Because it's to, to, that taking the kind of stand that this clergy has done is to cater to the world. It's to take the sting off of, the, of hurting anyone's conscience by standing for the truth. I am thankful for the many men of this congregation who have a discerning knowledge and a commitment to the truth, to our elders who have a commitment to the truth, to God's Word, and will boldly preach it. Romans 6 verse 2 gives us the answer. He says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? 
So it is impossible if we have the responsibility to stand up here and teach or in our daily lives not to speak the truth. Titus said in Titus 2 verse 1, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. There is an ever-present need, an urgent need, for teachers to teach the doctrine of our Lord. And so I want us to look at what the motiv motivating factors can be on the subjects that we choose. You often hear it said that this, this study is for me. We're studying about things in our, in our daily studies and studying about things that we have trouble with, that we struggle with, and we find those topics to be of value to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and so we give them as lessons. We often choose topics to comfort, to encourage, or to warn. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we use this scripture very often. We hear it talked about the necessity of studying for our own spiritual needs. But this scripture teaches more than that. It teaches us that growth will be made and understanding given through God's word. So we often study to improve, to overcome our own weaknesses, and we find these studies to be profitable to others. The word of God is able to develop the soul, to bring it up, to build it up, and to prepare it for an inheritance in heaven. Acts 20 and verse 32 says, And now, brethren, I commend to you God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. I love that statement. Which is able. The Bible is, that, that scripture is claiming great authority and great power. God's word is food for our soul. It is our soul. It is spiritual nourishment. At every point in our growth, or in our weakness, in our struggles, no matter what we're facing in life, we find within the scriptures what we need to deal with those situations. God's word has always resident within it the power to accomplish that for which it is given. His word is able. It is given for our benefit. We must grow and learn and we must teach it. Turn to Titus 2, verse 11. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purifying unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. So it is incumbent upon us that as we teach that we bring the truths that we find in the word. We cannot fail to do this for fear of criticism. You know, in our gospel meeting back in the summer, there was a lesson uh, about heaven. And I've heard some in the past, and it may have been a long time, but it was one of the best that I can remember. Honestly, I told Kelly, I said, my reaction to that lesson whenever he had gone through all of that 
when he had gone through all of uh, his study and he was closing and talking about the return of Christ, my response, honestly, is I wanted to stand up and cheer. That's how, how much it encouraged me. That's how much it comforted me. And so we have lessons for comfort and for encouragement. Psalms 119, beginning in verse 46. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and I will not be ashamed. I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. Remember the word unto thy, thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. So the psalmist said that he would speak of the testimonies of God. He would delight in its commands, and he would meditate in his statutes. I believe this scripture gives us a lot to consider about God's word. In it, we have more comfort than anything or anyone in this world can give us. I think we all have our favorite scriptures that give us comfort. I think probably a lot of people realize, since I use it often, that Colossians 1, that I love it. I love where it tells us that he has translated us into the kingdom of light and made us meet, made us suitable, suitable to be partakers with the saints of, in, in light. And we delight in these kind of promises. David said, Thy word has caused me to hope and is my comfort in my affliction. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. So there is much benefit to be gained from these topics of encouragement and comfort. But we cannot fail to realize our responsibility to warn others. We must warn of apathy, of neglect of our, our Christian life, of sinful living and lifestyles, of false doctrines. If you will, turn to Ezekiel 3, and we'll read from verse 17, beginning verse 17 there. Ezekiel 3, verse 17. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou wilt warn the wicked, and he turn not away from the, his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth turn, away from, doth turn from his righteousness, and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin. And his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man, 
that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live because he is warned, and also thou hast delivered thy soul. We cannot take this lightly. God tells us if we see danger and do not warn, then the blood of those that die in their sin will be upon us. It is the obligations of, of those who teach to consider what is happening around us, to perceive dangers, and to sound the alarm. Paul said in Acts 20 and verse 31, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And so must we. We must call sin by its right name. We must stand firm in our resolve to teach God's word in its entirety and in simplicity with love and concern for others. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We cannot shy away from the truth. We must not fear what men will say. But we must teach God's word with love and a concern for our brethren and for our fellow men. I want us to consider our reaction to God's Word. Whether we become upset by teaching that we do not like or whether we just ignore it. In Isaiah 29, verse 13, we read that this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. It seems as though we have come to the point where we seek to please God by doing things our way. We want to do the things that we want to do, that modern society says we should do, and then expect God to be pleased with whatever kind of worship we uh, give Him. You know, people tend to dislike having their faults pointed out to them. I can assure you of that. I have never enjoyed sitting in those pews and have the preacher point out to my children my failings as their father. Nor pointing out to, to Kelly and to me my failings as her husband. Nor pointing out to me, knowing my own heart and my own struggles, my failures. It's not fun. But it's our responsibility to respond to God's word and make the changes necessary so that we can live acceptably before him. You know, whenever the woman was taken in adultery that we read about in Matthew 12, and they brought the, her accusers brought her before Jesus and asked what, they should, do, what uh, they should do, said Moses commanded that she be stoned, he asked if, if, you know, whoever of you is without sin, you throw the first stone. Well, they all went away. And he asked her, where, where are your accusers? And she said, there's no man. His response to her was, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Years ago, I've got the notes in here, so it was, has to be 20 years or more ago that David Minson gave a lesson that was titled, Which Jesus Do You Love? And it was talking about the loving side of Jesus or the side that also has requirements of you. The so-called Christian world today wants 
loves the Jesus that is just forgiving. All the while forgetting the second part of what he said to her. Go and sin no more. Jesus is forgiving. His purpose in coming to this world was to reconcile man to God. That can only be done through obedience and a faithful life by his blood. We cannot be reconciled to God if we refuse to be because of our lifestyle. Jesus said in Matthew 12 and verse 30, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So think of the things that I asked you to at the beginning of the lesson, the two or three different topics. If any of those things are things you struggle with, and then think about your reaction when those things are taught on. Are you embarrassed? Are you embarrassed by the word that's taught? What is your reaction? Are you insulted by the commands that we find? Do we become a critic of the one who teaches from God's word? It is impossible that we should come here and hear teaching from God's word and not hear teaching that the world would find controversial. When we come to this place and hear God's word taught, when we sit down in our home and study on our personal study time, we should expect to see things that should cause us at times shame, cause us at times to go, I need to make a correction here. If we fail to have the proper response to God's word, if we mutilate God's word, we twist it to suit, to suit men, to make, it, make ourselves more comfortable, what can we possibly hope to gain from that? The doctrine of one who is embarrassed or offended by the word is useless. It is empty religion. It is vain worship. And we are not to have any part in any such thing. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when, we will not, when they will not endure sound doctrine... But after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Paul taught, told Timothy to, to preach the word always. Brethren, the time has come when sound doctrine is not endured. The time has come when people have turned their ears from the truth. People want the fables. The world does not want their lives regulated by God's word. False teachings, false promises, and half-truths are the order of the day. Many become upset when God's word is taught because they just do not believe that certain things ought to be taught on, that, that there's certain parts of God's word that no one should take a stand on. When we come to... When we gather together to worship, knowing that we are going to have a study from God's Word, a sermon or a lesson, then we should expect 
to hear things that will oftentimes sting and cause us to be, to, to look at ourselves and to be corrected. When someone is teaching and they hit you particularly hard, they hit me particularly hard, they weren't preaching just for me. I just happened to be in the way because I have had something out of line in my life. God's word has hit, it, hit its mark and we should never be offended or feel like someone is meddling when they give that kind of teaching. People are uncomfortable in this day and age that you'd take a stand that there's only one way to heaven. Jesus said in, verse, in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Those are the words of Jesus. There's one way. The world does not like it. They believe it's narrow-minded. People do not like to be reminded that there are specific roles for men and women within marriage. It's insulting. Most people believe that the world has changed and we must become more modern in our thinking. You know, Israel, at the time that Jesus was on this earth and up until that time and, and shortly after had been drifting and drifting and drifting. And when Stephen, shortly before he was stoned, he addressed that. He addressed the attitude that, t that lets you get there. He said, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your father did, so do ye. I mentioned the lesson back in the summer that we were given about heaven and how comforting that was. Most people who claim to be somewhat religious will never be offended by that kind of topic. But then you can pick any number of the things, the things I asked you to think about within yourself, and people do get offended by those things. They may even get mad at the one who is speaking. Rather than taking the warnings that they've been given and patterning their lives after Christ. People often get upset at the messenger. I don't know, I guess 30 years ago, Brother Marlon Cole said it, and I always like it. I didn't write it, I just read it. And it's true, it's God's word, it's not mine. We had better be willing to accept God at his word and on his terms. The same issues that we face today will face every generation to live on this earth. All the progress of time will not, set, will not set aside the commands of God or his judgment to come. Another reason that we fail to, may fail to react properly to God's warning is because of hardness of heart. We've gotten so, so caught up in our daily lives, so desensitized by the world, that we begin to believe what the world tells us rather than God. And as time and events progress, we may come to believe that the world's way is a better way. And thus we've begun the process of hardening our heart. In our human reasoning, we reckon the way of modern man to be superior to the way of God. In Jeremiah 6, verse 7, 16 and 17, the Bible says there, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. 
Also I set a watchman over you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not hearken. So at this time in history, the Jewish nation had departed so far from God that Jeremiah called upon them to ask for the old paths that they might walk in them. And they said, We will not. I think today we have the same great need to ask for the old paths. But so many say we will not. We will not hearken. We will not walk therein. The way of the world is to appear right religious and deny the word. It is to be tolerant of everything but the truth. Matthew 23 verse 13 says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. How can we who are God's children fail in our acceptance of his word? If we will not receive God's word, which is meant for our benefit, then we most certainly are guilty of rejecting God. Remember our reading from 2 Timothy 4 where Paul said the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Paul said to Timothy that there's those in your midst who will not endure sound doctrine. He was talking about the body of Christ. He was not talking about the world. In Titus, we read, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? What is meant by that? Sound doctrine is Bible doctrine. It's the words that we find in the Bible. We must respect God's word. We must not bend the truths that we find to meet our own whims. In 1 Peter 4, verse 11, we read, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. The oracles of God are God's word. So when we stand in this pulpit, anytime one stands here, we must speak as the Bible speaks. And we must all, as God's children, as God's children, go by the Bible. We must be nothing, practice nothing other than what the Word of God teaches us. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 and 2, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times shall some depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Think about what he said there. Are members of Christ's body going to depart? Paul said they would. Have we ever seen that happen? We've all seen it happen, if we've lived any amount of time. We are just as human as anyone who walks away from God. We cannot let our hearts be hardened because we 
want to indulge ourselves or we want to appear popular with the world. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3, beginning in verse 8. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses." But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And in, ver in chapter 4, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the Lord preached, but the word preached did profit them, did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, Paul instructs Timothy, Take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. This warning implies danger, but it also implies protection. And this is just as applicable to us as it was to Timothy. We need to give heed to the warning. According to the world we can, that we live in, everything, every manner of lifestyle, every type of perverse thinking, is to be accepted and embraced. However one chooses to live, whatever one chooses to promote is good. Whomever one chooses to associate themselves with, with one exception, people who are unwavering in the truth, people who stand on the truth are unacceptable to the world. We are to accept God's word, to teach it, and to stand fast in the doctrine of the word. The world will hate us for it, but we are to stand fast anyway. In Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. He said the gospel of God is, is the power of God into, to salvation. Do you understand? 
Can you wrap your mind around the vast truth that is contained there? The limitless power that the God's Word claims. It is God's power to save us. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit in the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's Word is powerful. It says it can discern the thoughts and intentions of our heart. There is not an idle word or an empty phrase connected with God's Word. This is powerful. We should care what it says and we should conform our lives to it. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So we're taught that God's Word is profitable for these four things. Note, notice how comprehensive and inclusive they are for doctrine or teaching. Number two, for reproof. Number three, for correction. Number four, for, an in, for instruction in righteousness. You cannot imagine any condition or any need that we have as humans, but one or more of these statements do not adequately apply. Their completeness is in the fact that the man of God may be perfect. Not perfect in morals, not perfect in character, but perfect in this respect that he is thoroughly and completely furnished unto every good work. That means that through this complete nourishment that we have, this total God that each day that we determine within ourselves to cling to God's word and to serve him, we move closer and closer to him. Our lives become more and more what he wants them to be. I hope that that scripture registers as strongly with you as it does with me. The all-sufficiency, the absolute adequacy and adaptability of the Bible to meet all the demands of our needs are emphasized right here in this scripture. Christians, people who follow Christ, believe that passage. They also believe that as we read in 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So we need to determine within ourselves, with all of the power that we can command, that the Bible alone will be our sole rule of faith and, and practice. We must speak as it speaks, and we must believe the truths that it contains. When we claim to believe the Bible, then we endorse all of the statements found therein. It means, when we say we believe God's Word, that we subscribe to all of its requirements, and we believe that we are to be governed, our lives are to be governed by its teachings. To follow the popular theories of the day or to disguise the Word so that no one could ever be offended by the words of God would make us useless, make us of no use to anyone that hears us. I'd like to close by reading 1 Peter 4, verses 17 through 19. 
For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? If we can scarcely be saved in obedience and faithful living, how can we possibly hope to be saved if we are ashamed of God's word? Let us gladly receive God's word, adhere to its teachings, teach others God's word, so that we may all enter into the joy that awaits. If there's anyone here this morning that has been sufficiently taught and would like to obey their Lord in baptism, or if there's someone here that has any sort of struggles or needs, needs for comfort or strength, and you'd like the prayers of the brethren, we'd invite you to come as we together we stand and sing.